0: All right, all right. I can I can smell the controversy in the room over side dishes. Personally, I said stuffing, which I feel like as a child I would never say thank you Justin. Yeah, I think I feel like it's an acquired taste like the older you get you're like, yeah, I guess the stuffing is actually really nice. Just like the people that are like I love the canned cranberry sauce. But we'll not get into that right now. If we haven't met before, my name is Sarah. I get to be the associate pastor here at Calvary Young Adults, and I'm really excited to be with you guys tonight. Um, I get to continue in this series that we started last week where we're looking at Psalm 67 and this idea of what does it actually mean for the nations of the world to be glad. The psalmist says in Psalm 67, verses 1 through 4, if you have your Bibles, you could follow along. It says, may God be gracious to us, and bless us and make his face shine upon us, that your way be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the people praise you, O God. Let the people praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge all peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. So really this question that Pastor Brian Williams and I are looking at is what does the psalmist mean to make the nations, all people on this earth, to be glad? And last week, we kind of started to answer this question and it's this, it's to know the one who created them, who seeks them, who longs to be with them. It's this God who wants to unify us back in harmony with himself and then respond in praise because what was lost, that connection between people and God has been found a connection, a purpose, a thing of incomparable value. Now, I lose things all the time. You can ask anyone. I've really been on a roll this week. Um, But this is why I'll argue that there's nothing like being reunited with something of value. Like there's no better feeling than finding something valuable that you once lost. And I remember there's this time when I was in college. I was studying abroad in Italy. And we got to go on this weekend trip to Switzerland. And it was absolutely beautiful. And it was the very last weekend that we'd be traveling. So the next week, we'd be flying back to the States. So we decided, we didn't have a lot of money, so thank God it was this last weekend, to go with this third-party tour group, which I would not recommend if you were a student studying abroad, but that's, we'll get that to, get to that later. And we were going to go up to Switzerland on like a weekend trip And then we're going to come back. So here we were. It was our last day. And we were staying um, right outside Lake Como. So I'm going to show you a picture. It literally looks like a postcard. And the way that this works is half of the lake is in Switzerland, and the other half is in Italy. So we had one hour left. And our tour guide said, all right, you have one hour to get from the Swiss side back to the Italian side to get on the bus and drive eight hours back to Florence, which is where we're living. So I was like, all right. We have an amazing time, we get on the boat, we take the boat across the lake. We're getting off and we decide to stop in a bodega or just like a little convenience store to get water before we take this bus ride back. And I reached for like, I have like one of those really cool travel wallets that like hangs around your neck. And I'm reaching for my wallet and I realize that not only my wallet is gone, but the entire like purse with my passport and my cell phone is missing. And I'm, we have now 40 minutes to depart from this place. So I like yeet to go talk to this bus driver. And I'm like, listen, sir, like I I lost my passport. Like We're flying home in a week. If this had started at the beginning of the trip, different story. But I needed my passport to get home at this point. And he looks at me and goes, very sympathetically, the bus is going to leave with or without you. That's not my problem. So this is why I say don't travel with third party group. So at this point, I'm panicked. Um, I'm sitting there, I'm with my friends and they look at me and they're like, okay, so we're not gonna wait for you. But what we are gonna do is we're gonna crowdfund you enough money to get back on the boat if you want to go across the lake and see if you can find it. And I remember standing there and I I had this choice to make. I was like, "Was the risk of the thing that I lost worth the value of like the payoff? Like what if I can't find my passport and my cell phone and my wallet? is it worth risking literally missing the bus back home. And in that moment I decided after my friends like poured their euros into my hand that it was. So I boarded that boat and as my last like foot stepped on I was like this is the point of no return. Like I'm on this boat I have no way to communicate with anyone and I'm laser focused. I'm penniless, passportless, But everything I could think of is like what I'm going to do when I hit the ground. Because I've decided in that moment that what I had lost, again, was more valuable than what I would give up. And I was praying to the Lord with like every breath. This very sweet older couple was like, where are you from? And I'm like, can't focus on praying. So I get off the boat, like literally, and they happen to love the Lord too. So they're like, we understand. I was like, thank you. Um, So I get off the boat and I ran. And this is like... I had a really big knee surgery right after that, or a few years later. So this is like pre-near surgery. I'm sprinting. And there's this grassy patch where we'd been sitting right before we departed to this final boat that would take us to our final destination. And before I could even survey the ground, this man like materializes behind an art easel and he looks at me in this broken Italian accent and he goes, I've been waiting for you. And I'm like very disoriented at first. But before I can say anything, like a magician, he like suddenly presents my wallet. And I'm like, no way. And I look in. I have a full wallet. My passport is there. And it's my cell phone. And in a very like obnoxious American way, I just say, can I hug you? And he (laughs) says, yes, and I look at him like dead in the eyes and I go, "I think you might be an angel." And because he was not there. Boonver, that I promised you, I, I'm pretty observant. He was not there prior. So who knows if he was an angel or not. But I walk to the boat. I'd I literally get the last boat across the lake back. It even takes us the long way. so I'm sitting there, but I feel so much relief. Like you know that feeling when relief just like floods your body from like the top of your head to the tip of your toes, and you feel like you can breathe again like my heart rate lowered and I walked to the bus and I boarded as the last person on the bus. And I tell that story because I really believe it's in our nature to seek things that are valuable when we lose them. And this is actually an attribute of the Father God that we see in Jesus, in the sacrifice of Jesus. Because you see, when Jesus is asked by his disciples, which he's often asked many very, Blatant questions and also some more complicated questions by his disciples. When he's asked, "What is the kingdom of heaven? You keep talking about. Like, what is it like?" He uses stories with familiar characters and settings to describe attributes of the kingdom of God. And one way that he keeps referring back to is the kingdom of God being like being reunited with something of value. So we see parables, these stories with familiar characters and settings. We see a parable of a woman who loses her ten coin, one of her 10 coins, and then she sweeps her entire home until she finds it. We see another parable where a shepherd loses one of his 99 sheep, and he leaves the entire herd behind to go find that wandering lamb. And I think in our Western culture of individually packaged lives, where excess and waste is kind of the norm, sometimes we can look at this and hear this and be like, huh? Like, what's the big deal about one coin? What's the big deal about one lamb? Like, you have 99 more. Like, what's going to happen to those 99 sheep? But then we see Jesus talk about the kingdom in a different setting. I just want to talk about this other parable. He talks about the kingdom of God in terms of a hidden treasure. This comes from Matthew 13, and it's one of the shortest parables in Scripture, but it says this. It says, the kingdom of heaven... According to Jesus, is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and then covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he had to go and buy the field. You see, we were at our, our leader retreat uh, a few weekends ago up in Mammoth. We took some of our small group leaders, some of our worship team. Um, it's really just a time that we use each year to reset, to hear the voice of the Lord, and then kind of talk about like why are we doing what we're doing as a ministry? And we were talking about the Kingdom of God. Like what is this kingdom when we talk about inviting people into the family of God? What are we actually inviting people into? And our friend AJ actually is the one who brought up this scripture. And so often he was saying how it's interpreted as this: Seek out the kingdom of God and give up everything you have to obtain it. Seek out the kingdom of God and give up everything, give up your lay down your life, give up your possessions. And in many senses, that's true. Like we look at scripture and we're called to die to ourselves. Like that's a big deal. Like we say, there's a lot of things we say in the church that sound like we're so used to, but it's like, die to yourself. Look at your resources like they don't belong to you. Look at the purpose of your life, like it's not something that you get to manufacture. Like, that's a big deal. And in so many senses, that that interpretation is accurate. But here's what I and I think so often many others maybe who look at the scripture can't forget that A.J. pointed out, and this is just a scholarly observation, but we can't afford the kingdom of God. Like even if we found the kingdom of God somehow symbolically like buried in a field, like we cannot afford it. Not in our actions, not in our resources, not in our morality, our ability to be a good person or good deeds, so it's very very likely that when we look at this story, that it's not you or I who is that man who finds the treasure in the field, but it's Jesus. If you look at the parables that surround this parable in Matthew 13, when Jesus is talking, he is often the main character of the parable. So perhaps when he's talking about this treasure that's buried in the field, that treasure is you. That treasure is your neighbor. The person that you try to avoid on your way walking to the mailbox. The friendly Trader Joe's employee at the checkout who is always curious about what's in your cart. The employee who graciously cleans the bathrooms at your favorite place to eat. The man on the side of the road you pass on the off-road, off-ramp road off on your way to school. Your parent who's impossible to love at times. They're the treasure in the field. Because the reality is, the God the Father gives everything, Jesus, his son, his life up for you, for us, for that person that comes to mind when you think, man, them? At all of this, why does he do this? For the mere chance of being reunited with his people, with us, with his creation, not merely for ownership of us, it's not like he lost something and he's like, well, this belongs to me. Like, we belong to the Father. We're created by him. But it's not just to own us. It's for this remarkable partnership with us that he invites his people into. And this is the good news that makes the nations glad, that the God of the universe wants to restore us to himself through Jesus So the question today for us, whether you're a follower of Christ or you're just checking this out and making meaning of God and his church, it's the same question. How aware are you today that the God of the universe wants to partner with you? Like how aware are you that you are the treasure, perhaps that he sought out so fervently that he sold everything for to obtain you? And then secondly, with that, how aware are you today that the God of the universe wants to partner with the people around you? That it's not just about you. That Jesus, yes, sees you as the prize in the field. And he sees those around us. Those as we might treat as extras in our life. Maybe as the main protagonists in the story of the kingdom of God. When he talks about advancing the kingdom... He's inviting us in because, after all, the term commission, we looked at this term commission last week from the Great Commission. You might be familiar in Matthew 28 16 through 20. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teach them all I've commanded you. The Great Commission, that word actually means to entrust authority to someone to delegate power or authority, to send out. And when we look at words, the English language, we, we borrow a lot from you know Latin and French and other languages, that co, that prefix means with. So when we are commissioned, we are sent out, but in our case, we're actually partnering with someone. See, Jesus overcame death, fulfilling the pro- prophecies, and he returns to his father followers. And this is what that conversation looks like to them. So he has overcome death and grave. He's put on a cross and then he resurrects saying, I am who I said I was. And I'm here to bring hope and healing to a dying world. And he comes back to his disciples and they're coming together. And this is in Acts verse 1, 6, or chapter one, verses six through eight. And it says this, it says, when they had come together, his disciples, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? This is a big question because the nation of Israel at one time was this chosen people group that the Lord put his lineage in, that Christ himself came from the lineage that started with Abraham and Moses and Isaac. But then he says to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority but you will receive power and the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So again, this is the disciples' version of asking, when will you make the nations, particularly the nation of Israel, glad again? Like when will you restore and and actually confront the trials and injustice that are going on around us? Because they wanted a king to come to liberate them from the authority of Rome, from their oppressors. When are you going to bring to completion the work of wholeness on earth and in heaven and in people? But Jesus doesn't answer with a time or a date or a location. He answers with a commissioning to their local town, Jerusalem, to their neighboring regions in Judea, to the place of ethnic and cultural and racial otherness, Samaria, the place that no one wanted to go if you're a Jewish, right? Right? And if that didn't cover enough, he adds to the ends of the earth. He commissions them to go. And that same commissioning that he passes to his disciples then, nearly over 2,000 years ago, is the same commissioning that stands for us. Like if you're a follower of Christ, if you're a disciple of Christ, that stands for us tonight, November 17th, 2022. To seek out what is valuable each day. And participate in the reuniting of those God sees as most valuable back to Himself. Because you see, church, like we are the church, God could use any other method of reuniting people to Himself, witnessing to Himself. And in many ways, He does. He does through creation, He can through divine intervention. After all, God is God. He made everything. He can do what he pleases. And scripture even tells us, like, if we don't cry out in praise to God, like, the rocks are going to cry out. But what we see time and time again in his word, that God commissions the people of God to be witnesses, to be beacons, pointing to this good God so others may know him. Like, we are still his, like, plan A church. So practically, what does this look like? Last week, Brian talked about how the first step to the Great Commission is delighting ourselves in God, truly delighting ourselves in God, going to him in worship and praise to know first this God of the universe and this new reality that we're witnessing to of healing and wholeness and holiness, that our knowing and delighting in the truth of who God is may overflow into our relationships and our conversations So when we talk about the steps, like what does it look like to participate in the Great Commission? The first one truly is just delight in God. Delight in God. We've quoted this before, and I'm going to say it again. This comes from John Piper. He actually wrote an excerpt on Let the Nations Be Glad on Psalm 67. He says this, Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over, and it will be over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God. Missions will be no more. It is a temporary necessity, but worship abides forever. And that's why it's so important, like in this space, if you're coming in and maybe you're like, why do you worship in church? It's because that's our eternal reality that we get to participate in and delight in today as we focus and center our hearts on the only one who is worthy. Because worship, delight and praise in God is the reality of what we're inviting people into and what we ourselves get to enjoy. So it's important to keep asking ourselves these questions. Like, how are you delighting in God? This isn't to shame you or to be like, when's the last time you delighted in God? like truly, like we're invited to delight. When you think about God, we're told there's joy in his presence. There's healing in his presence. There's a knowing of who we are before God the Father. This good God, how are you delighting in God? Is it through worship? Is it through community? Is it through your time in the morning or the evening or the afternoon where you get to be in the word with him? And the second is, when is last time you delighted in the gospel? Because we can delight in characteristics of God. Like I love spending time with God and even just like dreaming with him or going on walks or being reminded of all these attributes of his patience and his kindness and his goodness. But when's the last time you delighted in the gospel over your own life? The good news that God so loved you and all of humankind that he would seek you out and make a way back to himself giving his most valuable gift for you, his own son. Like if you've ever questioned your worth, and I know that's hard, like that's been a big part of my own testimony, but just sit there and even like preach the gospel over yourself. It's why a lot of us are sitting here today. Speak it over yourself, be refreshed, transformed by this truth each and every day. And I've heard this said before, but I've actually taken this to practice. Like before I go out into the world in the morning, like I tried to go back to the gospel because I need to spend time with the Lord and be reminded of my dependency on him. Like, just because we get up here and preach and speak, which is a great honor and privilege, and we do carry responsibility, like, not for a second can I forget my dependency on him and his love to show me more of himself, his forgiveness, and my lack of perfection and holiness And only from that place can I wholeheartedly share to other people, even share to you guys, like who he is. So, steps in the commission delight in God, and then, secondly, embody the gospel. Embody the gospel. Like, I love the fact that Jesus literally came in an earthly body. Like, he could have chose any other way to come, even show him up as, like, a perfect lamb, you know, like a holy lamb, to be like, it's quite literal, I am the sacrifice. But no, he came incarnational, in the flesh, to embody the gospel for us. And we are invited into that, actually, every day to physically, emotionally, spiritually allow the Spirit of God the power of the Spirit of God to transform us through this reality and lead us to people that need us the most. We never go alone on this mission that we're commissioned for. And we've talked about these different things, these vision statements that we're implementing as a church over the next eight years, but it's like, okay, how do we do this? How do we let the Spirit of God transform us? Deliberately elevate your love for God's Word by being in it. Be in it and then be changed by it. Like we're going to look at a passage out of Romans where Paul's talking to this group of people that have so much zeal, like they're so stoked on spiritual things, but they have no knowledge. And that can be so dangerous, just like having so much knowledge about something, but no passion could also be really dangerous. Like we need to know the truth that we're sharing, not just from our emotions or zeal or experience, but we need to marry that knowledge and wisdom with our emotions and our zeal. So being in the word, knowing the truth of who God is. And then secondly, when we dramatically escalate our Christ-like compassion, that's actually when we're living out the word of God and wisdom and knowledge in scripture by acting as new creation. We act in opposition to the world, being full of love and joy and peace and kindness and goodness and patience and self-control that actually ushers forth the kingdom of God. That draws people back to their creator and goes, what is that? Something deep inside me feels made for that. Because here's the reality too. Like we can't lead people where we've never been. And we can't tell people of what we do not know. We want our lives to embody and not perfectly, but earnestly, the qualities that this good God has and of his good gospel And sincerely, church, like not make hypocrites of ourselves. Like we're going to do it. We're human, right? Like we're going to mess up and that's where we get to be like the grace of God and mercy in our lives is what we need every single day. But let's not just be people that speak with our mouths the truth of God and not take it into our lives and take ourselves before the word and let the word read us, right, and be transformed in that way. Because we want to lead people where we've been before. And then allow the Holy Spirit to take them more places we both haven't been. And we want to tell people of this God that we actually know. That we've actually experienced. So steps in the commission. We want to delight in God. We want to spend time to delight in the truth of who he is. We want to embody the gospel. And then we want to tell others. We need to tell others. This is the third prong of what we want to be about as a church. right? Love God more. Love those in the church more. Our brothers and sisters in Christ. But then we want to love our neighbors more. And we say this all the time, but like, you cannot love someone if you do not know them. We can't love someone if we do not know them. And actually, we have an invitation to tell people about who Christ is with our words, with our mouths. So we'll look at this passage out of Romans 10. It's verses really 12 through 15. But Paul's talking here, and he says this. He says, For there is no distinction between Jew or Greek. This is revolutionary at the time because before it was like, the Jewish people are the chosen people, the Israelites are cho- chosen. And Paul's going around and he's like, no, the gospel is for everyone. The good news of Jesus and this God of Israel is for everyone. It says, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call to him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The good news of Jesus is for everyone. Everyone everyone. And that might seem obvious, but when we're out in public in our day-to-day lives or traveling, suddenly it's like the good news of Jesus is for everyone, but that person that I'm forced to sit next to on the airplane. The good news of Jesus is for everyone except for that family member that I'm dreading seeing next week for Thanksgiving. The good news of Jesus is everyone except for that person inside the road who I feel a little uncomfortable talking to, but it seems like they need some help. We're like an issue with just mankind. This just a little bit of an aside, but like we're so good at deceiving ourselves into thinking that we are good, right? Or that we have it down and we're not like immune as Christians. So it's really understanding like, do we know that the good news of Jesus is for everyone? Janae was talking earlier with her prayer team that like sharing the gospel isn't a burden, it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. You see, When we talk about everyone, this means your past, your country, your gender, your educational status, your level of sin or shame. Under this new reality, Jesus brings us into a world where we are all able to receive salvation. And that is such good news. That could be, it is the best news of our lives. And some people don't know it yet. Verse 14 goes on to say this, but he says, how then will they call on him who they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him who they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? I could just see him like getting really worked up, right? Because here's the thing, the good news of Jesus is for everyone, but the good news of Jesus is meant to be shared with our words. Like we've said this before, Brian said this before, I grew up in a culture that's like, share the gospel with your actions and sometimes use words. Like, yes, we need our lives. we need to have integrity, we need to live out the gospel, embody the gospel so people aren't like, well, you say this and then you do another thing quite consistently. But we, we're we actually called to share the word of God with our mouths, to be explicit and to be clear. And I think so often too, and I do this, I've done this in the past, we can rely on preachers and teachers to do that for us, which I'm like, oh, well now I, I'm up here as the preacher and teacher, but it's like, We're not gonna get much done if that's how it's gonna roll, right? Just like once every Thursday, bring people to, like, please bring people to church, please invite them. And we have this specific mantle, like I said, and responsibility to get up here and teach and study and share the word of God in a unique way. But what Paul is talking about here is this is for all believers. All believers are called not necessarily to preach like this, but to teach and to share and to herald and to point to Jesus this good news of the gospel. Paul goes on to say in verse 15, and how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And why I know this is for every believer, like let's just even look at Ephesians 6, the armor of God, this is armor of God for every believer, right? We have the helmet of salvation, we have the breastplate of righteousness. And then what do we have? We have the sandals, with the gospel on their heels, the feet that are ready to carry the good news. We are all asked to be equipped with that. So the good news of Jesus is for everyone. The good news of Jesus is meant to be shared with our words. And then lastly, the good news of Jesus is the great life mission of the believer. Like if you're sitting there and you're like, I don't know what my purpose is in the world. Congratulations, here it is. It's to tell people about Jesus. It's to invite people into the kingdom of God. This is how the nations become glad. You and me partnering with the power and authority given by the Holy Spirit to tell the world who this good God is. But it's more than a canned response. Like I've been to churches that use tracts, not hating on tracts. If you know what a tract is, it's like a little pamphlet and you hand it out and it has like the gospel in an illustration or like a very simple, you know, four sentence thing. That can be so helpful. But I think we need more than that because we have the truth of who God is according to his word down. Like, that's good. We should know the scriptures, but we need to understand who we're dealing with because God is alive and active. He is the living, breathing God of the universe, and he sent his son to make this way back to himself and then gave us his spirit. Like, God is going to reach people in ways that we can't expect and fully understand, but we need to be ready to be obedient to say yes in those moments. Yes to engage with people. If the Holy Spirit's turned on your heart to go, okay, I'm going to step out in boldness, and then invite them to come and see. We can't just package it up and be like, here's the gospel, see you later. Like, we as followers in Christ are actually, whether it's in our own lives— or even just to a community, say, come and see. Come to see. come and see what this is actually looks like lived out. And as as Brian and I were talking about this, he reminded me of a clip from The Chosen. If anyone's a Chosen fan, it's based, Yeah, <laughs> it's so delicate. Um, it's 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 a show that basically attempts to depict part of the life of Jesus, and it's it's very beautifully done. Of course, this is not. Jesus himself, but it brings a lot of humanity into the life of the disciples. And there's this one clip that I just want to show you, and it's where Philip, one of the disciples, is telling his friend Nathaniel about Jesus. I'm just gonna play the clip.
1: This is who the baptizer has been preparing us for. Mm. Nathaniel. He's the one. The one. The one whom Moses foretold and the prophets said would come. The one? The one. Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. Nazareth? <laughs> oh, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Come and see. Oh, <laughs> little dump on a craggy hilltop. I'm serious. No paved roads, no public buildings. <laughs> they barely have a synagogue. You can't, you really can't. <laughs> hey, I'm just telling it like it is. Why can't I do that? Because you're m- mean. The families, illiterate day laborers and peasants, by the way, sleep under the same roof as their livestock. Listen to me. Honestly, Philip, saying the one is a Nazarene is practically heresy. Just come and see. What, you gonna be late for work? Wow, that's dark. (laughs) So dark. Your whole life, you've wanted to serve God, to meet the Son of God, the King of Israel. I promise you will not regret it. And if you do, I'll refund your misery. I know you. You don't mess around. You will want to join him. He's like no rabbi who ever has been or will be. I've never seen you talk like this. I'm still hung up on the Nazareth of it all.
0: So I love that because he could have sat there and argued all day with him. And what 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 Nathaniel was saying was really like Nazareth? That's like, you know, choose your maybe not so well off region or city of your choice, and being like, really, someone of influence came from there? Like they've been waiting on this king for thousands of years. I don't know if we've ever experienced anything like that. Like we wait to see the results of an election for like a year, four years, you know, like we're anticipating that. Like we can't even match the anticipation of Jesus. But for him to say, you know what? Like I see something in you. Like Nathaniel can look at Philip and say, something's different about you. You seem changed by being around this man. And a little backstory to him, like he was at one of the lowest places in his life. And for his friend to come and say, no, come and see who Jesus is. Because it's not up to us. Like, we can't convince people into the kingdom of God. We have to invite them to know this Jesus, to know this Holy Spirit, to know this good God, our Father, and say, come and see for yourself. Because you see, the gospel is invitation, friends, to come and see. To not have everything figured out before you step into these conversations with people but to know the reality of who God is and then be oriented by that with the Holy Spirit as our guide. And I just want to ask us, like, I have to ask myself this today, are we come and see people? Are we more of like the ding-dong ditch gospel people that are like, Jesus, and then we run away? (laughs) Because let's be honest, like, it can be uncomfortable at first to live this way, to be prepared to share Jesus, to speak of him in your own life, with others who you may not be sure how they're going to respond. And this can be true not only of strangers. Strangers are probably like on a scale of one to unpredictable, the most unpredictable. Um, But this is true of friends and family too, right? Like when we suddenly, like this, this weight comes into the room and we start talking about Jesus which by the way, my friend Sarah is not here. She's in Australia. She always reminds us that a stranger is just a friend you haven't met yet. So be wise and cautious. But truly, like sometimes we can just stay in our little circles and we're like, I'm only gonna tell Jesus to the people in my lives. Everyone's a Christian. Um, But truly, like we we have this opportunity, like Janae said, this beautiful gift to invite people into the reality of community along with you and me as we live lives that are revolved around the worship of Jesus. But we have to remember as we step out into boldness and we start to weigh that risk of talking to people about Jesus, that again, they are the prize that Jesus sought. Like they are the prize that before they knew him, he decided you're worthy to die for. And to also remember this, that the discomfort of sharing is temporary, but the comfort of unity with God is an eternal. That's what we offer people. And on the flip side, the comfort of staying silent is temporary, but the discomfort of separation from God is eternal. Like, I'm not here to breach fire and brimstone over you, but this is the reality that Scripture tells us that one day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Like, this isn't just a reality that we're like, maybe one day you'll meet Jesus and you'll have a negotiation with him. Like, we don't know the the vastness of the grace and the mercy of God. But we will, we do know the reality of this king we serve and that everyone's gonna come face to face with this Lord. And we'd rather them bend their knees willingly, right? And here's the relief, right? We're not solely responsible for like every, like I've had those moments where I'm like, I didn't didn't share the gospel and I should have. And then it's like, that person will never know Jesus and God's gonna like have me answer for them one day. We don't know that. But we do know that we have a God-given responsibility, we have a commission that is present and active in our lives today. And we can treat it as optional, but when we treat it as optional, we need to know the weight behind that. Because the thing is, we might be planting a seed, or we might be sowing the seed, or we might be watering the seed. Like, it can be a thousand different interactions, a thousand different ways that bring someone to Christ. But we need to play our role. We need to be faithful with what the Holy Spirit has us do in the lives of the people around us, because Jesus felt that it was worth it. He wouldn't have asked us if he didn't think it was worth it. He believes that we're worth it, and I just want to invite you into this reality. Like, is that worth it? I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask the band to come back up, um, and we're gonna just do one thing before we close in benediction. But we've placed a card underneath all of your chairs with a little pen, and just want to give you guys some time and space to answer this question. Like, who does the Lord want you to invite into knowing him? Some of you might have that answer, like, straight of mind. You're like, I know who it is. It's my roommate. It's my sister. It's my coworker. But if you're stumped and you do not know, like, we're just going to give you, like, one to two minutes to spend before the Lord and say, Lord, who is it that you want me to be more bold, to be more clear about inviting them to know you, to start a conversation to follow up on that question that they asked. And here's what I would love for you to do, for us to do with those name cards. You'd either write it down and keep it, put it somewhere in your car, by your mirror. If you're like, I drive that person to work, maybe don't put it in the car, that could be weird. Um, Put it in your Bible. But either that, you could keep it as a reminder. We'd also love if you would wanna put it on the prayer wall. So our prayer team would just be praying over these names. And then third and finally, if you're feeling up for it, um, turn to the person next to you in worship and just say, can you pray over me as I, as I want to have conversations with this person in my life about Jesus? Help, help the Holy Spirit give me wisdom because it's gonna look different for everyone, right? So we're just gonna give you guys one to two minutes just to close your eyes. Ask the Lord and when you're ready, just write that name down and then decide what step am I gonna take with this card? I'm gonna pray over it right now. I'm gonna put it on the prayer wall. I'm going to ask someone next to me in worship to pray with you for the boldness and the courage. I just want to send us off with this benediction. It's from St. Teresa Vavilla and it says this. It says, Christ has no body but yours. No hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes which he looks with compassion on this world. Yours are the feet with which he walks to do good. Yours are the hands with which he blesses all of the world. Yours are the hands, yours are the feet. Yours are the eyes. You are his body. Christ has no body now but yours. No hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes which he looks on compassion to this world. Christ has no body on earth but yours.